the Mac Observer's Mac Geek app number 215, I mean three, for Tuesday, August 4th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the show. I am Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire, with Pilot Pete sitting right next to me. And on the other end of the line... John Brown here in Fairfield, Connecticut, and Pete's back. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're all back in the saddle here. Been all over. Uh, yeah, we all have. We all have. Uh, you know, John, it, having Pete here reminds me of, of when we do our live shows, and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what uh, I've learned since the last live show that we've done. You know, we, we kind of had this goal of doing at least one a month, and we've gotten off that goal now. Our travel schedules and kind of mixing everything up has made it challenging just to get the podcast out. Uh, but we did, you know, there were a lot of comments during the live portion of the show that the audio from you and I was pretty poor. And as it turns huh. out, the people were right now, not that I expected them to be wrong, but it's really bad. Now I did some testing. The issue is that what we have to do is because there's no, or at least there wasn't a direct link from Skype to talk shoe, We have to call the talk shoe number using uh, Skype out. So we were going through the plain old telephone system, which which is fine. I mean, it's not going to be great quality, but the telephone system can do fairly well, especially with a, a voice over IP gateway on both sides. Well, Skype's outbound voice over IP gateway is terrible. It is the worst voice over IP quality. It's the worst voice quality you can get. Uh, cell phones are better than this. So that's what was going on during these live shows. So I, I've got some ideas about kind of routing that piece of it with Gizmo, uh, which is another uh, voice over IP client, sort of like Skype and iChat and those. And and because that's got a direct hard link into uh, into TalkShoe. So if we can get that working, it'll be a nice clean signal, uh, you know, full digital straight to TalkShoe. And uh, and then we can do this. But I I, I just got to sit down and work it out. And I have not done that yet. So so that's the that's the delay on that. But, uh, you know, OK, other than, that, Dave, other than I, that, I think we have exciting news. So speaking of digital, which I assume it is somewhere. But anyways, uh, you and I both had some uh, kind of fun uh, uh, media events. Uh, we did. We had some appearances. Appearances, and I guess the first one, Dave, is uh, you appeared, I, be, I believe, on Fox Business today. I, I appeared on foxbusiness.com slash live during their noontime hour, whatever it is, their chat. And and they, they called me yesterday and invited me to come on and, and talk for a couple of minutes about the whole Google Apple mess with Google Voice being rejected from the App Store and then Eric Schmidt stepping down and uh, from Apple's board and all of that good stuff. So it was fun. Uh, you know, I, I won't rehash it. I think there will be a link to it. I think if you it's the it was the August 4th show. It happened today. So uh, you should be able to go out there and and uh, nice and check it out. Yeah, it was now, uh, you know, talking about how we have to get this talk show thing working. John, I'm very proud of us for being able to make this podcast work. Two ways over Skype. Now, by, by saying that, I mean that I'm able to talk and you can hear me and you're able to talk and I can hear you. And we're both using Skype. Now, this may not sound like a monumental achievement, folks, but when you compare it to what I went through to be on FoxBusiness.com <laughs> today, it is huge. What they did was they said, we're going to do it with Skype so that my video could be on their thing. And that's great. Well, no Skype problem. is 
Skype or is it? Go on. Well, it, it is. I mean, it, you know, and they had Skype set up, so they called me on Skype and they're like, OK, great. Now, and then they said, oh, and by the way, you, you know, you won't be able to see or hear the newscasters over Skype. And I thought, well, that's sort of a problem. Like, didn't they tell you this? I'm like, well, they, they said something about needing a headset, but uh, I assume that was just, you know, so that there would be no echo. And they're like, well, so yeah. Just- so just the incoming audio is is what they were utilizing Skype for? Incoming audio and video on their end. They got my audio and, and video, video. Okay. over okay. Skype. But in order for me to hear the newscasters, I needed to call either on my landline or on my cell phone uh, an, a, a special phone number that then got me a feed from the live show. So I had my and I used my iPhone because I had a very, uh, you know, sort of low profile earbud, you know, the iPhone earbuds that come with it. I popped that in in one ear and ran the cable down my back and sat the phone on the chair behind me. So I was talking into the computer and you were seeing or they were seeing my my, you know, smiling face on uh, Skype and they were hearing my audio over Skype. But I was hearing them from the iPhone that was hiding behind me. It's ridiculous that it's set up this way. I I know for a fact because I'm looking at a setup right now where you can take Skype and actually do two ways. Right. We're we. We okay. do it every week. I'll, I'll, I'll defend them, though, in the, uh, at least in the workplace, when we do teleconferences, yeah. especially shared like live meeting and stuff, we will have a separate dial-in number for audio just because it's, I think, too taxing and uncertain to expect the computers, especially in a diverse you know, corporate computing environment and firewalls and, and all that sort of garbage. Um, so I've seen it before. Uh, it, it, yeah, it strikes me as weird, too, is that you figure one pipe should be able to handle all of the different... Absolutely. You know, uh, audio so, and video formats, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Anyway, and to, so, to add, add, add insult to injury, they were using, they had not gone to, <laughs> you know, the Skype menu and checked, check for updates, right? Because oops. they were using an old enough version of Skype that it was uh, encoding my audio with the SVOPC uh, codec instead of Silk, which means, of course, that it's at 16 kilohertz instead of 24 and a whole lot less clear. But, you know, who's counting? So anyway, you had... Uh, a media appearance this week or weekend too, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. So a couple of things to what I've been doing the last few days. So um, on Sunday, um, so I was you know after uh, sufficient hazing and and other rituals, um, I I am now a part of the Mac Roundtable, which is basically uh, a bunch of Mac podcasters who get together every now and then to just talk about things. And so uh, this was my first uh, episode, and we've you know sent out the link to it. Um, or you can go to macroundtable.com, I believe. Yep. <laughs> That's the link. And uh, this one was was with uh, Allison Sheridan, um, who uh, does the NoSillaCast, uh, Katie Floyd of Mac Power Users, and Don McAllister, all people that I've met at Macworld. So it wasn't really like anything new, but it was it was it was a rocking time, and and I I love doing it. So uh, I love the roundtable. Uh, I I wish I were more available to be on it more regularly because it's uh, it's always a blast. Yeah, and I was uh, I took the role I think of the curmudgeon is in that everything was the uh, so we talked about displays and mice and stuff like that, and I basically every time Apple equipment came up I I you know bashed it beat up on it great yeah so <laughs> hopefully I don't have the uh, you know the Apple goon squad out after me <laughs> but, oh um, they're already out they're already out to get you <laughs> but uh, two things about that so um yeah so that affected my schedule because I had that and then I had an all day meeting yesterday and today and I'm I'm on my second wind right now and uh, i I think it'll last uh, uh, should we dive into the show and then uh and then we can come back and revisit this this cable vision thing a little later let's do that let's let's get to some of these questions okay let's dive into sam yeah so it, it, it was interesting as i was going through prepping this uh yesterday 
I noticed we had, you know, these themes always emerge in our, uh, or often emerge in our questions that we get each week. And this week, there were a lot of questions about that on the surface, the answer seemed like bad hardware. Uh, and for some of them, I think that's probably true. And for some of them, I think it might not be. But it was very interesting to see so many of these uh, come in almost all at once. So, uh, yeah, we will we will start with with Sam and uh, and take it from there. So Sam says, I have a 2002 Quicksilver twin gigahertz do, do, two, twin gigahertz G4 Rev B motherboard running Mac OS 10 10.4.11. So Tiger, all my Firewire ports have stopped working. The machine has a built-in FireWire 400 bus, and I have installed a PCI card with FireWire 800. System Profiler reports both buses as alive and well. Removing the FireWire 800 card did not reactivate my built-in FireWire. When I boot from a second internal hard drive, the ports are still dead. I've reset PRAM numerous times. I've pressed the reset button on the motherboard. No joy from either of those approaches. I did an unclean OS X reinstall, and it seemed like they woke up for about 30 seconds, then died. All my internet searches have not provided me with an answer. I'm thinking my only recourse is a motherboard replacement, but I wanted your sage advice just in case this is a problem you've solved before. So, uh, this is, this is interesting. Uh, you know, I, I have seen this. I saw it on an iMac, uh, where it was a, a G5 based iMac where the firewire ports occasionally would stop working. And, you know, usually a power off would do it, but sometimes it required more. Um, in this case, I, I, you know, I think it might just be bad hardware, but PRAM does store uh, this. Now, Sam, you said you've reset the PRAM a couple of times, but uh, there is a knowledge base article at apple.com, which indicates that the logic board can be completely reset by removing the battery for 10 minutes. Um, other than that, there is that motherboard reset switch. And, and sometimes people say you've got a, and, and this reset switch that, that Sam talks about, it's a tiny little red button on the motherboard itself. So you've got to open up the machine and you can find it. Uh, it it's sometimes called the, the logic board reset or CUDA C U D a switch is, is what it's often referred to. Uh, Sometimes you take the battery out and you press that or you unplug power from it and then press that, you know, make sure you're properly grounded when doing anything on the motherboard. But uh, but th those are my thoughts. I, I think I think that long term PRAM reset by pulling the battery for 10 minutes and pulling power at the same time might help here. Uh, John, what do you what do you got? Well, being a software person for the most part, though, I understand enough about hardware to to hurt it. <laughs> but um, it, to me, it sounds like it could be a hardware issue and not a PRAM or other uh, kind of software or firmware related thing. So uh, a couple of things I would suggest. One, uh, I mean, Sam already looked in the system profiler, which is a great first step. It's does the computer even see it? Um, what I would do is an additional step, and this makes me happy and sad. Happy that the utility is something I find incredibly useful, but sad because apparently development has stopped on this, but peripheral vision from our friends at Granted Software, and apparently I, the, the last I came to their page just today, they said, oh, development's uh, halted on this. It still works on all the machines that I have, both Motorola uh, or IBM and Intel, but basically what it does is whenever any USB, FireWire, and a couple other varieties of devices are mounted or dismounted, it will do a, a display in the center of your screen and then it'll fade away. What this tells you is if 
a USB or a firewire or a network device is being mounted or unmounted in that does the machine even recognize that this is a device that it should be trying to mount? And if right. it does, then you see the icon. So peripheral vision, I think, is a good diagnostic tool for this. The other thing, if you want to get really down and dirty at the ultimate low-level hardware level, um, I found a site here which looks pretty good, pinouts.ru. What I would do is take the pins on the port that are supposed to supply power, because if you're not supplying power, you're <laughs> dead in the water, and get a voltmeter and just see if you see anything there. Uh, that would indicate to me either a, a, a fl- uh, maybe a flaky either firewire chip or power supply that, that just doesn't have the oomph or gets... Uh, uh, now, I think Pete also suggested, I don't know, I saw a message here, but um, another thing, and I'll give Pete credit, but... You know, a motherboard, especially in the warmer weather, um, little hairline cracks on motherboards may not manifest themselves unless you have extremes in temperature, either cold or hot. The cold typically, you know, compresses things, so you probably don't have as much of a problem. But when you're heating things up, they expand and they grow out. So, so I would say if there's any time of year that something would manifest a hardware problem due to a hairline crack on the motherboard, it probably would be in the warmer weather. I'm just speculating, but... It kind of makes sense. So, anyway, so those yeah. are my suggestions on 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 that issue, and and I guess always you know start with. Uh, did he do this? The uh, the fresh user? No, he said he did a semi clean install, right? Well, he he did. There? He said he did a semi clean install, but he also says uh, when I boot from a second internal hard drive, the ports are still dead. So unless that second internal hard drive yeah. is a dead on clone of the first one, then we can sort of assume that, yeah, it's probably okay. But you know, the best way to test it would be to boot the, uh, boot from a, a you know, a DVD or, or, or something like that and, and just see if yeah. you've got access to the drive. So I get a vibe. I don't know if it's accurate, but I get a power supply vibe from this. That's mm. just me. All right. Well, there you go, Sam. We'd be interested to hear what, uh, what goes on. And meanwhile, we will move on to Daniel. Hey, John and Dave. It's Daniel from Levittsburg, Ohio. I'm a big fan of the show. I've been a listener for about a year now. I'm having an issue with my early 2008 MacBook Pro. It won't go to sleep automatically. I can manually set it to go to sleep, and it works. Um, I pretty much determined it to be a hardware issue because I've done an erase and install after talking to the Genius Bar and AppleCare, um, and the problem was not fixed with that. One thing that does work is if I reset the PRAM, um, the sleep settings will work properly for about a day of use, but after about a day, uh, the problem comes back and it will not sleep automatically. So I'm wondering if, because of the fact that the PRAM reset worked, um, if there's anything that you know of that might be able to make that solution work for longer than just a day. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, you bet, Daniel. So, okay, so the PRAM reset on this one, John, makes me think it's not hardware, right? I mean, because... Oh, I did, I'm going to smack you down, but go. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, now I... I you know what? I, I was going to say I, I trod with trepidation, but I will <laughs> forge ahead with force. Um, so, you know, I it, to me, if you can fix a problem even temporarily with a, a, a PRAM reset, then that kind of indicates that... You know, th- there should be there could be something uh, software related causing this. And what I would do is I do that PRAM reset and then I would launch a terminal on the Mac once it comes up and type PM set space dash G. 
And what that's going to do is that's going to tell you what the current settings are for the power manager uh, for the, the given uh, power profile. Now, now, power profiles are battery on battery, on AC power, and then on UPS power, if you happen to have a UPS plugged in uh, via USB. So take a look at that. It'll see. It'll tell you, you know, how, how long until it sleeps the disk, how long until it sleeps, how long until it hibernates, all that stuff. I would, you know, check that, take a screenshot of it with command shift four, uh, it, you know, and then draw the little, the little, uh, box around it and save that screenshot on your desktop. Then make sure it works. Okay, great. It sleeps. Then, you know, the next time when it's not sleeping, type that same command again and see what you get. See if anything has changed, because if something's different here, then to me, that means obviously something is going out here and changing this setting. Um, so, you know, it, it sounds to me though, like there's, there's hope in, in this case, but John, you, uh, you indicated, you believe otherwise (laughs) there is no hope. No. So we're going to have the whole hardware software back and forth here. Anyway. So I I believe Dan, what Daniel said is that when he, he lowers the screen, the machine does not sleep. Was that, that's, that's the symptom. That's right. Yes. Okay. My speculation now, let's review, and you, you know this. What causes the Mac to think that the screen has come down? Well, there's a little switch. That is my speculation. That yeah. may be marginal or a bad connection. And I actually had this happen, I believe, on my titanium, in that uh, there was a, 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 I don't know if it shifted, or, or uh, but there was something. So, so what I'm suggesting is that either the switch... Uh, probably not. You know, it's magnetic and all that fun stuff. Right. But the wiring or something that may be or the circuitry that deals with that, which I think is what you're suggesting. So, yeah, but- again, I always want to entertain the possibility that it is a marginal piece of hardware, a switch, a contact, stuff like that, which and, you know, we all hate these problems. Yeah. Both you and I, Dave. Now, software oh, yeah. tends to be more prone to this, I think, because, you know, software does one thing one minute and something else the next. But hardware you know what, that's not, is usually predictable. That's not well, true. I, when well, I, in my experience writing software, uh, it, it can certainly, it can uh, certainly be a, a, a situation. Yeah, okay. I, you know, that's true. When writing software, it certainly feels like it can be unpredictable. But when troubleshooting a machine, what I always found, and, and this was, mm-hmm. you know, this was what kind of one of those, you know, stood the hair up on the back of your neck things because you just kind of got that spidey sense going on. But... uh I always knew that if I had an issue where every time I did X, the computer did Y, to me, that is software, right? No problem. But if it, you know, sometimes when I do this, it breaks. And sometimes when I do this, it's fine. You know, those intermittent, hard to chase down, you know, running, hiding gremlin kind of issues. That to me was always hardware. It was, you know, because because there because heat's a factor with hardware that usually isn't with software. Right. You know, and 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 moving the machine around and any physical changes shouldn't affect software, but they can affect hardware. But well, I'm I'm with you. I'll qualify in that typically what I do, except but I have written production software. But uh, so I'll I'll retract that a bit. And typically I write rapid prototyping software, which is quick and dirty has to get the job done. It's not going to go through a code review or extensive analysis. If I run it once, and it, so I'll I'll concede on that. I'll I'll take that back. That that operating system and application software is probably a little better tested than what I I deal with on a day to day basis. Right. So I'll, I'll I'm with you on that. Is that typically once software you would hope is out of beta or alpha, 
um, that it's it's consistent enough that the same thing will happen happen every time. That's right, right. It might not work right, but it'll work wrong consistently. That's right. Cool. Uh, all right. So our first sponsor for this show is Smile on My Mac. And this month we're talking about Disc Label. Now, Disc Label is a piece of software that you run on your Mac and you can create using their templates or starting from scratch on your own, visually create uh, labels for CDs and DVDs and also uh, jewel box cases and DVD cases for the same. Uh, you can create uh Pull in track information from iTunes, photos from iPhoto. Uh, so you can really you can create a collage, you know, with pictures like if you've gone on vacation, right? Summertime. We all go on vacation. Or a lot of people tend to take a little break here or there. Maybe you take a lot of pictures with your cameras or your iPhones or whatever that is. Uh, you can go ahead and create a uh, beautiful label for the CD or the DVD and also for the case. And send those out as uh, maybe pre-holiday gifts or birthday gifts or, or even wait for the holidays and send them off to relatives. And, uh, you know, it kind of dovetails with the whole econolypse that we've got going on here where, you know, you save a little money and uh, and you're making a great little great little thing that's unique and, and special for your family. So that is Disc Label and available at SmileOnMyMac.com. There's a free trial. Uh, it's $39.95 once you decide you want to buy. And there's a great screencast by Don McAllister available on the Smile on My Mac Disc Label site uh, so that you can see just uh, just how this works uh, right there on your Mac. So SmileOnMyMac.com, Disc Label, free trial, wow. and $39.95. Don? Don and I were just hanging you. You and Don just hung. That's right. All right, man. Go. Virtually. So, uh, All right. So uh, back on track. Back on track. We go Greg. to Greg. Yeah. Hey, John and Dave, I absolutely love your podcast, and I really loved your aviation podcast. I have a Cirrus SR20, so if you're ever in the D.C. area and want to fly a Cirrus, let me know. The cool reason I'm calling is because <laughs> after uh, 15 years of using Macintosh computers, I've got a problem that's just beyond me for some reason. I've got an original MacBook Pro, and suddenly it decided to reboot and then do the little spinning wheel under the Apple logo. So I tried to boot from a USB drive that was a backup copy, and it boots just fine off the USB. But when I tried to stick in the, um, the original disk to maybe reinstall the software to get it to start on its own, uh, it won't start from the, the DVD. It won't start on its own. It just kind of hangs there with a little spinning wheel, but it keeps starting up fine if I plug in a USB drive and hit option and select the USB drive. I'm really at a loss. Uh, now, I really hate to go to the Apple store and deal with all that. So I was just wondering if you guys had any, any suggestions. Uh, here's where you can cut me off. All right. Take it, John. Cut him off. All right. My suggestion, you know, again, it sounds like a hardware problem. So, I don't know. You know, that's rough. It, it, it sounds like, from what he said, is that the drive starts doing its thing, and then it kind of backs off. A, perhaps, and, and I, I've i looked at Radio Shack and stuff, but a lens cleaner, maybe? Well, yeah. either, you know, a filthy disc. You know, I've been running into filthy discs. Now, you know, you've told me about your, your deal with Netflix, where uh, a lot of times they're filthy. Sorry, 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 sorry. Hey, John and Dave, it's Daniel from Lewisburg. Oh, no. Uh, uh, Hit the uh, uh, stop button. Man. All right, we're good. <laughs> sorry. 
So anyways, no, I've been running into this too. Uh, so, you know, you said Netflix, you know, the discs are, dirt, are filthy. And I've seen that with Redbox, not as much, but, you know, filthy DVD, um, the drive, uh, again, I haven't had to do this uh, often, but clean the lens on the drive. Now, the other thing is that, you know, does the drive always, where I'm thinking, you know, again, a lot of pop problems are power problems, much to the fish shaking of the electrical engineers out there saying, what do you mean by this? But, um, you know, the drive could be marginal. Um, do, do you see it in the in the system profiler? And, and especially disutility, I've noticed this, Dave, which is kind of annoying sometimes. Whenever you start up disutility, at least with the recent versions, it grinds the driver. It does a drive reset or something, but you hear it go, rear, rear, just like when you start the machine up. So, you know, that, to me, that's a telltale sign that I think the drive is working in some capacity, if you, if you hear that sound uh, regularly. Though I hate hearing it because it, it seems like a waste, but... Yeah, so I, that's interesting. I, I, I like the idea of running uh, system profiler just to make sure the system sees the drive as as a drive. Um, it, you or know, option. It, I'm sorry, holding down option. I guess is another way. Um, yep. Which uh, I'm sorry, uh, hate to interrupt, but I've, I've seen this where some, and I've had this happen with a, a machine recently that I was diagnosing. It didn't show up in um, system uh, the uh, startup disk. Uh, system preference, but it did show up when I held down option and rebooted the machine. So, so that I think is the definitive way to see if a drive exists at all is holding down the option with a bootable piece of media, DVD or otherwise, and, and see if it even shows up when you hold down option and you boot the machine. Go on. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll, I'll step in there. And, you know, the key word is with a bootable piece of media. Now, there is the working assumption here that the DVD that won't boot Greg's machine will boot others um, and will okay. boot other machines of the type that is Greg's machine, right? Because not every boot DVD is created equal. So I, I would go ahead and, you know, find out if that DVD, it, it maybe the DVD is bad, right? Can you put the DVD in uh, when the Mac is started up and verify it with disk utility, right? That that's, you know, which is the step we all skip when yeah. installing the OS, right? <laughs> of course, right. I'm going to spend an hour verifying this DVD with gigabytes of info. Yeah, yeah, right. But yeah. you know, ver go ahead and verify that disk and make sure it's you know it, it's it's a clean disk and that there's not some error on it. And then also make sure that that boot up disk is qualified to boot your Mac because a Mac that can't be booted from the disk in the DVD drive will ex will act exactly like Greg's. Uh, pro Greg describes here, it will, you know, maybe start, but, but very quickly move on and just, you know, boot from the drive in the internal hard drive as though that's the only disc that's there. So the only other fleeting thought I have, and then we yeah. can perhaps move on. I, I'm going to assume this is original media and you have different types of media. So the media that, you know, Apple gives you or most vendors give you is, is right once media, which tends to hold, you know, the signal, uh, longer than other types of media. Um, I'm just speculating, but just a little, little interesting tangent, I think, is that a rewritable media uh, with older drives, uh, because I believe the signaling or, or something, but it, you're more likely if you have rewritable media to encounter problems on a, on a drive than with write once media. So I, I'm just pointing out, maybe if it's a copy of a, a on rewritable media of a uh, you know system disk um, those can flake out quicker. I mean, we had an episode where we talked, I think, about media longevity and uh, 
you know, we, again, we could do a whole episode about that, but just something to keep in mind that your, your media may be flaking out um, if it works on some drives and not others. Right. Yep. Good point. All right. Uh, moving on to this is this is great. You know, talking about these hardware problems, John, I, you know, we can get there's only so far we can go here. And and then it's like, all right, well, we've shared our thoughts. We move on. You know, I feel like it's almost a cop out because we we can't get to what we know to be the solution. So no, because we, we don't know. The we answer. don't know. That's right. So, all right. Uh, so Nick writes, here's something where we, well, it's the same deal. Hi, guys. I bought a 24-inch iMac with the ATI 4850 video chip when they were first released earlier this year. I have had my Mac randomly freeze, shut down, run fans at full speed, fail to boot, and fail to read from the DVD drive. Every time something goes wrong, I call Apple, and every time the problem is fixed temporarily by resetting the SMC controller. I am sick of having to put up with these problems, and I want Apple to fix my iMac permanently. What are the magic words I have to say to them to get Apple's tech support people to authorize a repair for my iMac? All right. So this gets interesting. Uh, yeah. The magic words are, I know where you live. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I just couldn't resist. But no, always be, as we pointed out, and we've had several people say Always be polite and respectful, mm-hmm. but maybe uh, a little forceful, uh, but uh, go on. Okay. Well, you know, my first thought is back to the battery. Try. I'm pretty sure this machine has a, has a battery in it. Um, Does it? Well, you know, we, and, and actually we found this before the show because I had this question for Dave. I'm like, Dave, does this have a battery? Because there are Macs like my former beloved, uh, Oh, PowerBook uh, G4, that was one of the few Macs that had no sort of battery. So when you lost, when the main battery was gone, you're gone. But anyways, so I guess what we noticed, Dave, is Apple does have a support article, but I think the interns that they hire to do that sort of thing haven't updated it for a while. So I'm, I'm going to assume that that machine does have a battery because it's not listed in this article, but I think they have it. Right. So, you know, assuming it has a battery, just replace it. Those batteries, I mean, they're, you know, expensive as far as batteries go, but they're they're not so bad. It's, you know, maybe 10 bucks or whatever. But replace that battery because if resetting the SMC fixes these problems, it, that tells me again, you know, like like we were talking about with Daniel's issue here, eh, maybe there's, you know, something where if we just, you know, maybe it's not holding its settings and on the iMac the battery is the the key there. So, uh, so that's it accessible. I yeah. don't have IMAX. Yeah, you it do, is the, the recent one. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's a weird it, thing taking a taking them apart. You got to put a towel down. You put them face down on the screen. Then you okay. undo two screws on the bottom, and the, the right. kind of the case lifts off the back. And and then yeah, it's it's fairly accessible. It's not so bad. So okay. um, so that that's number one. Now, if you can't get tech support, tech support typically doesn't have. There are no magic words for tech support, but. Uh, presuming that you've called every time and, and logged a, an official case by giving them your serial number and all that good stuff, you probably have at least one case number for this, if not multiple case numbers. And what I would do is at this point, I would call Apple's direct line, not the support line, the direct line. 408-996-1010 is the number in the U.S. Uh, and ask for Apple customer relations, not support, not technical support. But customer relations, these are the you know, this is like the office of the president. These are the customer service ninjas that are meant uh, to deal with people that aren't happy anywhere else. Right. And they have access to all of the same uh, cases and everything that are out there. 
and you just call them up and and say, look, you know, I've been trying to deal with tech support. I've called X number of times. They've told me to do, you know, this reset the SMC X number of times and it works for a short period and then it comes back around. Uh, clearly, there's, you know, there's something else going on here. I can't get any satisfaction out of tech support. Uh, I would love to be able to send my computer in. But if you don't think sending it in is the right answer, then I, I would like you to replace it. And you, you have to be, again, polite, but clear with these people that, you know, you do want to have them either handle your machine and fix it or replace it. Uh, at at Apple's, you know, at Apple's cost. Now, these people will then review your case and decide, you know, what they feel they can do. But customer relations is the the place to go there when but you got it. You can't start there. You've got to, you know, start with regular channels and because they're not going to do anything for you at customer relations if if they don't see that you've tried, you know, uh, your best to to get things dealt with through normal channels. Right. So they have the yeah. So so as you point out, because I dealt with them, I, I think you've heard the yeah we've heard sad yeah. tale of my prior machine. But yeah, they have the mojo to make things happen. But you and I can't stress enough: document everything, every call, every name, time, date. They may have this. They may not. They usually do, which is good news. If you give them a case number, they're like, oh, okay, hi, John. Yeah, now what? <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, thoroughly document your case because if you can tell the uh, the the uh, people that Dave is talking about, if you can give them a, a coherent, you know, story of what you tried and and you've tried everything, and it's just, uh, yeah, if you just call them directly, they're they're going to hang up on you. I think so. my my favorite thing to do, and and this is one of my secrets that I use not only for my own stuff, but you know, when I was helping customers, if I had to get on tech support, the first thing I would say to the, you know, some people in tech support, and and I can say this having been there, people in tech support, at least part of what they get as far as you know reward out of their job is helping other people right i mean of course you get paid for it or mm-hmm. they get paid for it so there's that right and there's there's the elements that they don't like but but you know there is some satisfaction in helping others i mean we all get that regardless of of what type of work we do and and so the first place that i start when i call someone you know tech support on the phone or these customer relations people is something along the lines of Hi, this is Dave Collin, and I sure hope you can help me or something like, man, I, you know, help me save my life today. Something like that. Even a little bit of hyperbole where you're kind of going overboard with it, because certainly, you know, fixing the PRAM battery or replacing your motherboard isn't going to save your life necessarily. But something like that where, you know, you've diffused the situation and you've you've said, look, this is my problem. You've owned the problem and then said, "I, I want your help with it. You know, and and that encourages people to really give you their best. Now, again, you may not get satisfaction, but that's in my experience, I found that to be a good way to start. Yeah, this is not the time for the gimme, which we say for trade shows and getting swag. Okay, <laughs> here you have to be diplomatic. That's right. Well, yeah. isn't that true? Come on, trade show now. <laughs> not all of them. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Where are we on time here? You know, I want to talk about our second sponsor. That is Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com. And that uh, is their, the software from Circus Ponies that we're talking about today is Notebook. We've talked about this before. Notebook allows you to organize your thoughts, data, PDFs, images, all in one place. So if you have and you can organize, you can have one notebook for your entire life. 
where you can create multiple notebooks inside the software where you categorize things. Maybe you've got one for work. Maybe you've got one for recipes. Maybe you've got one for your family vacation that you're planning, right? You put all the stuff that you need in there, PDFs of airline receipts and hotel information and directions. And, and then maybe, you know, you want to have a hyperlink in there and boom, you can do that. You can annotate the PDF. So you can go in and say, yeah, look, I've, you know, I pulled in the PDF from the hotel and then you put a little note in there that says, and I called the hotel and I talked to Phil in uh, guest services and had him arrange to bring, you know, champagne to the room so that we've got champagne to start our vacation. All this stuff, you can log this right there inside Circus Ponies Notebook. All available at CircusPonies.com. You can search all your notebooks. You can search just one notebook or you can use their multi-dex feature and search all of them simultaneously. So if there's some piece of data you're looking for, you can look by date entered, keyword, whatever you remember about it. You can search by that and then pull it up. So this is Circus Ponies Notebook version 3.0 at CircusPonies.com. It is $49.95, but of course, it's software, so there's a free trial. Uh, if you are a student, you can have an academic license for $29.95. Family pack is $99.95. And if you are a previous notebook owner, uh, you can either upgrade for free or twenty four ninety five, depending on when you bought it. So that's Circus Ponies. Wait, I'm, I'm not going to wrap it up because Pete's waving his hand. I, I found a cool feature in Notebook. Oh, yeah, go. Yeah, it it is also an HTML editor. You can really? publish your notebook to a web, website, web space. So if you've got notes and you want to look at them online... It very is, cool. It is okay, cool. so it's so here's a great thing, right? You you create a uh, a section of your you know mobile me site that maybe isn't linked or, or any other site that you might have. You go on vacation. You don't want to take your laptop with you. You print out all your stuff right from the notebook, so you've got Absolutely. it hard copies. But you also take that stuff and you publish it off to a URL that you can't necessarily guess, or maybe you've password protected. And then that way, if you lose that paperwork on the go, it's available. You got it. Oh, it's slick. CircusPonies.com notebook version 3.0. Uh, all right. So wrapping up our hardware that might be hardware issues. Scott, this is a weird one. Scott says my MacBook Pro first generation recently developed a problem. It is intermittent and hasn't happened in a few days, but it worries me. Here's the problem. As the machine powers up, usually after the Apple logo appears, the whole thing shuts off completely all the way off. It doesn't go to sleep. I have to power up using the power button. Sometimes it takes two or three tries before the machine stays on. This seems to have happened more often when the machine was on battery power, but it happened once when the machine was powered by the adapter. Is this an indication of imminent hard drive failure? I have smart reporter activated and it does not indicate any problem. I need help. All right. Uh, you know what? Go ahead, John. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you run with this because I I had a I had a yes. He does need help. All right, oh, that's go. bad. So anyway, so my initial again hardware, but, but but no. What I'm thinking is so if it's starting up and it shuts off like outright shuts off to me, I would think well, what else do I do with this machine that causes it to shut off immediately without any other sort of action. Ooh, pick me, pick me. I know. No. Oh, okay. Well, I, you go ahead. Well, I'm going to say, as most of you know, or you can do it. Oh, go as ahead. most oh, of God. you know, on the Mac, if you hold down a certain button, Dave, 
Oh, that's not what I was thinking. I, I oh, like no. where I you're heard going. I heard it in the pre-show. Can I guess? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Shut up. So anyways, <laughs> holding Thanks, down the power button causes, uh, after about two to five seconds, Ten causes seconds. Uh, three, sir. <laughs> no. I'll bid four. Um, I've had it about three, uh, well, whatever. Ten, definitely, but I've had it happen sooner. But right. on almost any portable Mac, holding down the power button, and, and a lot of Dells and other PCs, Holding down the power button for an extended period of time, five to ten seconds, the machine shuts down. To me, I'm wondering if this is happening without the user's knowledge, because there is no way to tell if the button is kind of flaky or there's a short. I mean, I, I hate to fall back on that because, you know, typically the problem with any electrical engineering problem is that, oh, it's a short. And then you... You just solved the problem. <laughs> but if that button is being depressed somehow, either flexing the case or the wires or the button itself is bad, this could happen. Now, if it's happening predictably, like always at the same time in the startup routine, then I would say it's a software problem. That some software is freaking out. Though I don't know what software can make that. Well, I guess you could, but especially during startup when things may have certain privileges, it could cause the machine to shut down. But to me, that is... I mean, you know, once you're on the machine itself to, to shut it down without the user, you know, saying, yeah, that's OK, is is to me very unusual. So this show is is really fun to do because because of all these hardware things, you know, there's so many different answers. And as I said, while I was reading this, I came up with even something else to try. Excellent. We are going to get flooded with comments and, I, and it's great. I'm looking forward to, to hearing what everybody else hears and, and sees when when they're, you know, going through these problems with us here. So th this is this is going to be cool. It might bury us in, in email and comments, but, that, you know, we'll we'll live. There are worse things we can go through. Um, so you said, John, and this dovetails right into what I what I saw as we were reading it. You said, you know, what else happens during startup? What could it be? Now, I like your power button idea, and, and that that's certainly I mean, there's no question that could be. And I've seen this. it. Yeah. I saw it on an iMac once. I re I replaced the power button because isn't that something? It would freak the machine out. It was an early one of the the candy colored ones. Yep. But I I have worked on a machine that had a certifiable power button problem. So yep. um, that that's why I fall back on that. But uh, go on. Yeah. Okay. So the the question is, what's happening during startup? Well, we get to see. Uh, if you hold down, and I think you have to use the command key. I always do. Command, which is the, the Clover or Apple key, depending on what sort of keyboard you have. Command and V for verbose. It will, uh, mm. it will instead of displaying that Apple logo, uh, it will kind of pull that aside and let you see all the Unix startup stuff that's happening behind the scenes. Now, this happens anyway. Uh, you can get at it looking in the console logs or D message or whatever, but you can see it during startup if you hold down command V and it can be very handy in diagnosing a problem like this. Now, you got to be quick because, you know, if the machine shuts off, that that stuff doesn't live on the screen, you know, so you got to really be quick. It's going to scroll from top to bottom. Uh, you know, and, and then just or and then, you know, I, scrolling off the top. So I would think console would catch some of it. Well, but it's not saving it. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, you're only not often. Right, you're, right. you're only seeing it as it happens in real time. So, you know, right. that might give you an indication. Now, the other thing it could be is if you've got a battery that isn't necessarily bad, but has a circuit board on it that's confused. You know, it stands to reason that if the battery is reporting to the computer, I'm about to die. 
then there might be something in the startup process where, you know, the, the Mac checks to see is the battery, does the battery have enough juice to start this machine up or should we just abort? And, and if, if the battery erroneously or correctly reports, no, I don't have enough juice. Well, then the machine should just die. It shouldn't start creating all these temp files that are going to get corrupted and all sorts of problems if it dies halfway through the startup process. Right. So uh, it's possible there's that happening too. And especially with it, you know, having happened mostly on, um, on battery power. And then only once, you know, when it was plugged into AC, that, that sort of leads me to believe that, well, we should, we should consider the battery in our realm of possibilities here. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. So again, you know, we don't, we don't know. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. How are we doing on time? Should we just stop right there? No, we can, we can't stop. Right no, there. I, eh, you think we should No, there's a couple of things to talk about. You know, I'm going to jump to the, we're going to skip the, the software issues part of this show. Oh. Uh, right. right. And and then we'll go to we'll go to some follow ups that we had from from previous shows, because I think some of these will be pretty quick and they're relatively relevant. Uh, so we talked about last time. Are we done with this one, John, this MacBook Pro thing? Do you have anything else to uh, to throw in there? OK, uh, so last time we talked about screen captures. Right. We had a we had a question about screen captures and we got a couple of comments about stuff that we uh, that we didn't mention. And I'll pick a couple of them here. Uh, Theodore wrote in your last show, uh, Jeanette asked about screen recording. And one thing I've used is ScreenJelly.com. It's a web-based service that will take a screenshot and also record your audio. So presumably it's using Flash or or something to kind of go outside the browser and and do this. But it's a web-based service. And uh, it's cool because it's got, you know, similar to how TwitPic and TwitVid work with pictures and videos and fully integrating with Twitter. So once you take the video, it kind of posts that to Twitter on your behalf. Uh, Screen Jelly does the same thing with screencasts. So you can do a short little screencast or a long one and post it off to uh, to Twitter right there from uh, from inside Screen Jelly. So cool thing to uh, to think about. I liked your uh, 360 video. We should just move on. <laughs> it will. I, we'll post a link to it and then we'll move on. My side still hurts from that, by the way. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. Was a, it, it's it, not a video game. It was a hard we'll hit. Post a link. Look fine, right. though. Hey, it, the phone survived, dude. I was impressed. Yeah. Well, okay. So we can't just, we can't do this to these people. There's a video oh, I took. No. Uh, we were driving home on the, in the boat on Saturday night. My son was, uh, my seven-year-old son was driving uh, at the helm with, with his grandfather, my wife's father. And and they were doing fine, but they, that lake was really busy. I mean, ridiculously busy. It was the first nice Saturday we've had all summer. And so he kept having Luke do 360s just to, you know, kill time uh, to let some boats cross in front of us or whatever. And so at one point we're going about 25 knots and he tells Luke, you know what I think you need? I think you need a 360. Now, I just happened to be filming this nice moment, uh, you know, grandfather and grandson there driving the boat. And you see <laughs> Lucas, you know tongue between his teeth he's ready to go he cuts that wheel full 25 knots and uh i mean he cuts it as hard to the right as he can <laughs> we all fell because over he can yeah of course he can thank goodness the boat didn't flip um he and my father-in-law fell to the floor i was uh, you know i was on the other side of the boat so i i just sort of got jammed up against the um the, you know the side of the boat or whatever and then 
you know, I see the two of them on the floor and then I, I so I know that they, no one's manning the helm and I look over and I see that the throttle is not in neutral. So, you know, the first thing I did was run over and put the throttle in neutral. And you can you can see the phone just happened to have landed uh, with camera up underneath the uh, the helm. So you can see me kind of, you know, take a deep breath after I realized this. Was, Dave, you are you are a man under pressure that just. Well, here's you, the thing. You got your stuff together, man, because I saw that and I'm like, what the hell is going on? My Sorry. Bro- my brother-in-law uh, was in the front of the boat. So the front was almost completely unaffected by this, right? Because it spun on the front, you know, the engines in the back. So you cut the engine or you cut the wheel and it kicks the engine around. And so the boat basically spun on the, on, you know, on the, as the, with the front as the fulcrum. So they weren't banged around in the front at all. And my brother-in-law had the same thought. He knew nobody's at the helm. I'm going to be at the helm. So he was coming, you know, from the front of the boat as I was coming across. I did not see him. Now, he tells me we almost collided, you know, and that would have just added insult to injury here. And thank goodness that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, everybody was relatively okay. I, I banged up. I, you know, I bruised my side somehow here, but uh, I'll, I'll live. All right. Yeah. So, again, I apologize for the tangent. I know some people <laughs> love them. Some despise them for you that don't like them. It's all right. Next chapter. Whatever. Uh, uh, so another one that uh, that was mentioned. Well, we'll just so let DVDs. We'll, or no, no, no. No, well, let's got. Well, oh. we're going to skip around here. Well, let's got to uh, tell ah. us about another screen. Oh, cat. Great. Hi, John and Dave. Just responding to Mac Geek Gab 212, where John recommended Ambrosia Software's X for screen capture video recording. Um, I just wanted to say, in my opinion, I although I do love Ambrosia Software and I have several of their other products, uh, they haven't updated this in a long time. Really, it's been at least two or three years since it's been better than most of the alternatives. Um, meanwhile, the alternatives have been upgrading. Uh, if you need something with an editor built in, though it's ScreenFlow, it does a really great job, but my choice for overall uh, ease of use features and price would be I show you HD or I show you HD a bit more. But um, when I first started using I show you, it had some problems. Before. All right. I, I'm not sure why his comment keeps cutting out like that. That's it's, it's regular, too, which is really. Yeah, bizarre. I, it makes me worried about our little setup here because it did not cut out. But anyway, uh, was his, his audio, I think it, it Eh, I don't remember it cutting out when I listened before, but I'll take your word right. for it. All right. So it might have been. It might have been. I show you uh, from shinywhitebox.com. It's I show you HD. And then what he said was I show you HD pro. So uh, so those are the those are the things to check out. And I think we got one more in the screencasting realm. And then and then we jump to uh, to the DVD stuff. And I'm trying to find it here. Bill writes. I thought I'd add in another suggestion for the listener who wanted to store copies of DVDs, menus and all on his Mac drive in from Telestream at Telestream.net is very reasonably priced and is completely legal. But I once worked out that I would need in the region of 20 terabytes to store full copies of all my DVDs. That was some time ago. And I do buy a lot of box sets. So there's yet another option. Uh, uh, should we mention we might as well mention this. Uh, Bill caught the mention, caught the reference that I brought up last week about the uh, the swarm of bees. And there's a knowledge base article talking about sync services, which begins, as Bill says, with the immortal words, as if it were a swarm of bees, you should stay away from the sync services folder. So, <laughs> and, and that's right, man. You don't want to, unless you want to like, have a lot of hurt 
in your life. You you want to you want to stay away from it. So can't touch this. No, I, I don't recommend it. All right, so now we should get back. We talked about DVDs as Bill uh, brought in here. Uh, so we uh, can talk about Andrew. And Andrew says, I just listened to the last podcast where you answered the question about backing up DVDs. One thing you might want to check out is a utility called Fairmount. It's freeware, and you should find it easy if you Google it. The way it works is that you run Fairmount and then insert any DVD into the drive. Fairmount will decrypt it on the fly and in RAM. Uh, Sometimes it will take five minutes, sometimes 20. But afterwards, it will mount the decrypted DVD on your Mac where you can then use uh, Handbrake or or, uh, DVD to 1X or, and I'm trying to think of the software that it's from Metakind.com. They give this away so that they don't get in trouble for selling it would be my... um, would be my guess, but they do have DVD remaster, which does the same thing. It recompresses a large DVD down to a small one, but you need Fairmount to do it with uh, some of the commercially purchased DVDs. If I, you're going to back I up. like the name because it almost hints at fair use. Yeah. Which some would speculate if you own or license or whatever a DVD, maybe you have a right to do more than they would like you to do so i like the spirit of the name i think it's cool yeah all right so i I agree with you and i want to check this i used it for one thing once and it it seemed to work but you know it took a really long time to mount the disc so i thought something was wrong now after reading this comment i realized uh that's just kind of how it rolls so um all right so steve with regards to the dvd stuff says you mentioned mac the ripper and nicely sidestep the rigmarole involved in actually obtaining it and keeping it updated i'd like to recommend rip it from ripitapp.com <laughs> incredibly easy to use and buy an update it creates a .dvd media package which essentially holds the audio underscore TS and video underscore TS folders. The package is recognized by most applications, but can be turned off if required just to give the rip folders without the package format. Uh, I really do advise trying it out over Mac the Ripper, and I'm sure I'm probably not the first to recommend it. Well, you were the first this week, so uh, ripitapp.com. So there are other solutions if uh, if Mac the Ripper is uh, too difficult to obtain because it is a little bit different. Uh, going to purchase that through the forums and dealing with the guy that writes the <laughs> software. He's, he's, he's a, you know, obviously uh, knows what he's doing and, and very takes a lot of pride in his work, but uh, you have to, you have to jump through all these hoops and do everything exactly right. Otherwise this guy won't give you a license to his software. Uh, you know, he's, he's very persnickety. So, you know, what I do like is the difference in the naming. So fair amount. Mm-hmm. That sounds wholesome. Rip it. <laughs> That's right. Sounds kind of yeah. sinister. That's right. Maybe that's the intent. I don't know. It could be. It could be. All right. Uh, so, okay, wait, wait, wait. I, there is one thing that I skipped that I, I can't let it go for two weeks in a row. Um, while I was on vacation, I tried to stay away from, you know, checking email too much. But one day I just happened to check and I got an email from John Chafee from Busy Mac, the people that make Busy Sync. And also the upcoming BusyCal to let me know that the, uh, you know, super secret beta version of BusyCal was available for me to try. So I downloaded it and uh, immediately and installed it and used it for about 10 minutes. And and, then I I crashed it to the point where it wouldn't launch anymore and told him about the problem. And and within about two hours, he had sent me another build that that solved that particular problem. And then we moved on. BusyCal is awesome. It is what iCal should be. And the beautiful part is BusyCal uses sync services to keep all your data 
from BusyCal in sync with iCal. So you launch BusyCal for the first time and it takes a minute or two and assimilates all of the data that you had previously in iCal right into BusyCal. Uh, you don't have to have iCal running or anything. And then boom, it's right there. Much better interface. It has recurring to do's. Hello, anyone, right? The public beta is available. You can try this for free at busycal.com. They did not pay us to say anything here. I'm saying this because I love this software. I love it already. Uh, they're on their 10th beta version and it's been pretty stable now for, for uh, a couple of days. They haven't been updating it, which means people haven't been sending in bug reports, which is a good thing. Um, it really works well. Uh, it does stay in sync with my iPhone because it's talking straight to sync services. So there's no problems there. Uh, it's got some cool stuff with automatically showing you the weather and phases of the moon. And, and John, you'd appreciate this. Uh, it even if you're looking in the day view uh, or the week view, it shows kind of a, a dark gray background for the hours where it's dark and a light gray for the hours where it's light, you know, to differentiate night from dark. Well, it changes those times based on sunrise and sunset in your location. So you're actually getting this data. And he, he demoed it for me at, at WWDC and set it to, you know, somewhere in Alaska or whatever. So that, you know, you could see that it, you know, shrunk down daylight to, you know, maybe a sliver of a day or something like that. But uh, uh -huh. it, it's cool stuff. These guys know what they're doing. Uh, it syncs, obviously, with Google and all the busy sync is, is baked right into this thing. So I, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's It's no risk, right? Because you don't even have to worry if you've been using iCal, you go check this out. Uh, if you like it, well, you're good to go. If you don't, you quit it. And any data that you entered into BusyCal, well, it's still over an iCal. So you're good to go. Uh, okay. So it utilizes the database, but it does not mess with it. Okay. So no, it does. Well, okay. Here's. Or it, here, it potentially. No, let's get geeky. Well, let, let's okay. let, let's so get it, geeky. Yeah. So it gets to the same database. No, but because what you said was, uh, it, I think you implied that some of the things it does are outside of the the domain of the uh, main database that you're accessing or is that not true okay so here's how it Go. works iCal has its own database right it's got the, the services the, database no iCal has the ICS files that live in slash library right. slash calendars right okay. home sorry not slash library but home slash library slash calendars and you've got all these ICS files out here or whatever they're dot calendar folders or whatever it is that's what iCal reads from then Sync services behind the scenes syncs the data in that with the sync services database. Okay. So you have two copies of if everything's working properly and you haven't messed with this swarm of bees, uh, everything, you know, you have two copies of your calendar on your Mac already. If you use iCal, uh, sync services, then goes out and syncs with mobile me. So if you have an iPhone, right, the iPhone has its own calendar database. Your Mac has its own calendar database. And then mobile me has a copy and then you have the sync services database. So iCal syncs with sync services, sync services, syncs with mobile me, mobile me syncs with your iPhone. And all of this stuff is, you know, kind of very tenuously kept working. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't busy Cal has its own database. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and that stores the things that, that uh, there is no analog for in iCal, like, you know, these times and, uh, you know, the sunrise and sunset and the weather and all this other stuff that you got going on. But it syncs everything that it can with sync services, including the recurring to do's, because sync services supports recurring to do's based. At, and I'm making this assumption that they sync the recurring to do's there. But I know that sync services supports them, even though iCal does not in its UI. 
So it that sucks. Yes, iCal sucks. Right. So it syncs with sync services. iCal doesn't know where the data came from, right? iCal syncs with sync services too. So any changes that are made to that says I. If sync services says it's the truth, then I believe it to be the truth. And so iCal inherits all the changes that you've made. And BusyCal's the same way. So it's a two a full two way sync, but iCal and BusyCal don't talk to each other. They both talk to sync services, which is how it's supposed to be. That's that's the beauty of Leopard. Got it. All right. It's good to get geeky about this stuff. Yeah. It's good to understand uh, how your Mac works. That's why we're here, isn't it? I I guess. All right. So you had, uh, as we wrap this up here, you had a a cable. uh, No, you had a cable vision thing. Go ahead and and, and tell us about that. So, you know what I was doing? So I had a two day, uh, you know, the the little schedule uh, change here was having a work related, you know, Offsite thing. Sure. But on the way home, it ended early today. So I'm like, you know what I want to do? <clears throat> well, the thing was, I looked a couple of days ago. So as, uh, as, as you probably know, both Dave and I are big TiVo fans. And they have this thing, at least in, in my neck of the woods, called Switched Digital. Oh, right. The reason you have Switched Digital, my understanding, is that cable card equipped devices can only communicate in one direction, which I guess is basically receive. They're not very interactive. And the problem is the cable companies want to get more utilization out of the bandwidth that they already have. So they will have channels that are on the same frequency, but you got to have a way for the device to say, yo, man, give me the other channel on this same frequency. The problem is, as far as I know, cable card uh, or first generation cable card devices cannot do this. So that kind of sucks. And I've been getting letters, I don't know if you have, but but Cablevision or other customers, where they basically say, you know, man, you're not going to get these channels because you don't have Switch Digital. And and you can either get our cable box, which is the whole point of cable card, which was to make it so you didn't have to get a box from your cable company and pay, you know, usually an outrageous, but maybe not so much these days. Um, so anyway, so on the way home from the meeting here it was early enough that, you know, I-95 wasn't a total disaster. <laughs> <clears throat> you remember. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I remember. So it was going from Stamford to Fairfield. And yeah, it was uh, it was about four o'clock. So it wasn't too crazy. Um, but anyways, so I went to Cablevision because what I did is I went to Optima Online and I, I looked up a tuning adapter. And all of a sudden, an article came up saying, Hey, we got one of these, and if you want one, stop by your cable company and pick it up for free. Like, gee, you know, I'm glad, along with all the notices of what I'd be losing if I didn't get their cable box, they'd send me a notice saying, oh, by the way, we have this device that you kind of need to get more HD channels. Yeah, that's good. They kind of forgot to send that to me, Dave. Oh, they they forgot. (laughs) But it was on their online database, and I I talked about this to the support people. So anyway, so basically it's a device. Uh, Cable goes in, cable's out. It has a USB connection to the TiVo, and once you plug it in the TiVo and it gets authorized, that was the fun part today, was to call them with the serial number so they could authorize the device, and it basically makes your TiVo HD or Series 3 better. Huh. In that, uh, but it depends on your on your on your uh, cable, cable company. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't have that issue with Comcast here, to my knowledge. I don't think we're we're doing any switch digital yet. Um, and you have no box, or do you have the box? No, no. I, have, I just have cable cards in my Series okay. Three TiVo, and that's that. All right. So, so you may run into this. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. didn't until recently. All of a sudden, they started sending cards saying you're not going to get this and this unless you get our box. Right. The, right. the caveat now is that, and, and it's a Cisco device. It's huh. a Cisco STA 1520 tuning adapter. We will link to it. 
but but the funny thing is is that both TiVo and and Cablevision and other people were commenting on the fact that they're working on this and it should be out soon but they didn't really publicize it because again I stumbled across it <laughs> on their support site and then all of a sudden I couldn't get the date on the article it said oh and by the way if you want this just stop by and get it for free well, I know we have a lot I, of ca- Cablevision subscribers uh, that listen to the show so this is this yeah is and I did the way info. home I, yeah. I went there and I'm like yeah hi I have a TiVo I need a tuning adapter she's like can I have your ID to check your yeah, you sure, know, your course. phone number yeah. she went to the other guy do we have any more of these and they're like oh yeah there's five in the back oh, cool. and it was a beautiful Cisco box um you know, plugged it in. The weird thing is you plug in the cable part first, and then once it's been updated with data, then you plug the USB cable into the TiVo. Oh, that's weird. And the TiVo says, oh, look what I see. Oh, Here's a tuning adapter. Huh. And then all of a sudden, all the like, for example, before I didn't get, which is important to me, but, uh, well, no, it's not because I, I don't forget. No, it was History HD, I guess. Yeah. It was one of the channels I could not get unless I had switched digital. And I was on the guy who activated it. So he's like, yeah, okay. I sent out the activation pulse. I'm online or I'm on the phone with him. Yeah. And I'm like, well, nothing's happening because what's supposed to happen, you press the power button on the device and the green light comes on and it didn't for, you know, a minute. So I waited and I'm like, oh, here it goes. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, do you get the channels you didn't get before? And it's like, well, I don't really know because I don't know know what I didn't get before. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm on history HD. And he's like, okay, that's a switch digital. You got it. And it's like, cool. So you, I I suspect most cable companies in order to economize on the bandwidth they already have will revert to this. Although it It makes sense. The cable card people. And it almost sounds like the cable card spec, at least the the cable cards that you and I have were just one way too early. Yeah, that's right. One way, I, I I think they're working on a two O spec or something like that. So, uh, but it was fun, and, and you know, I mean, especially to go to the cable company and get something for free. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, especially like the day I went hardware, get, I'm like, dude, yeah. this is cool. I know, it's worth if you lease your cable modem too. Uh, it's worth swapping that thing out, you know, once every 18 months or so. Technology changes, and and as I mentioned on a show a couple of months ago, I swapped mine out and actually lowered my speed tier, right? So I, I was on, you know, one speed tier. I lowered it down. I'm getting faster speeds with the new modem because the old one just couldn't handle the speeds that I was I was paying for, let alone, uh, you know, anything above that. So it, it, is, yeah. it is worth, you know, it, it that's the benefit to I, leasing your cable modem. So. I talked to them, too, and the, the thing was they were trying to coerce me into the, the VoIP of course. Uh, option. Yeah, they they're, man, they're making a lot of money on that. They're, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm torn, though, because uh, I don't know if it's as good, but it may save me a couple of bucks. Yeah. And if nothing else, with with the company here, if, uh, you know, they have a, a boost option for my cable modem. Right. Oh, yeah. If I have phone service, too, then the boost option is, is less. Right, of course. That's so of course. tempting. Thank you. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if I trust VoIP phones. I, I just like Dude. copper analog. Dude, we, we just did the show over VoIP. Yeah, but I don't trust it. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. Next Tuesday, August 11th, one week from tonight, I will be in Princeton, New Jersey at the PMUG meeting. I believe it starts about 7 o'clock. You can check it all out at pmug-nj.org. It is a free meeting. Uh, there is a raffle that happens at the end that's only for paying members. But the meeting itself is free, and I, I'll be doing my Running Your Mac Lean, Clean, and Mean session. Uh, can we check as- in? Uh, I, don't, I think there might be a Skype thing going on. I don't know. I'll, I'll know more about it, and I'll, I'll mention it on Monday's show, which we're going to do a week from yesterday. So, uh, yeah. So, 
Audio comments can be sent to a couple of different places. Our current favorite is if you send your audio comments via your iPhone or iPod Touch, if you have one with a microphone, to feedback at MacGeekGab.com because they sound so good. You can also you can phone it in if you have to, John. I'd phone it at 206-666-GEEK, which, Dave, is... 4335. And uh, com is where all the show notes appear. You can Skype stuff to us, which is going to be the worst quality because it's going over the uh, the Skype's outbound yeah. thing to our geek our, our voicemail number. Uh, you can Skype us to... Uh, <laughs> MacGeekGab on Skype is where we're at. We love the yeah. iTunes comments. 20% off at Blog World Expo with Observer VIP as the code. That's October 15th through 17th. we got to book your flights, John. We've already booked hotels, so we're, we're in good shape. Oh, you did? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. iPhoneAlley.com is where Michael Johnston is when he's not converting this show to AAC for all of us and all of you. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show out. The podcast marketplace includes... The A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Pathfinder from Cocotech. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And we're out of here. Yeah. Twitter, it's there. It's there. You know. <laughs> Dave Hamilton, John F. Braun, Pilot Pete, Mac Geek Gav, Mac Observer, all at Twitter. Thanks for staying subscribed, folks. We certainly appreciate it. We appreciate all your comments, emails, all the love. Have fun and don't get caught. Made up.